0: Dirty Paper Project, Dirty Paper Podcast. All right. Dirty Paper Podcasters, I want to welcome you back. Now, if this is your first episode and this is the first time you're checking in with us, I would like to ask that you go back and begin with episode one, part one, to ensure that you're getting everything and you're getting all the content. I want to welcome you to the Dirty Paper Project and the Dirty Paper Podcast. All right, data Paper Podcasters, this is episode two, part two, the EPR. Now, just to recap a bit, in part one of this episode, we went over the framework and the situation surrounding the EPR from 2005 through 2006. Knowing that, let's just go over the EPR from 2005 and let's first discuss the feedback session leading up to the 2005 through 2006 performance evaluation. Now, if we were to focus solely on the feedback sessions themselves, they state a person devoid of progressive punishment, meaning that the rating I received, and I'm not saying that a 4 EPR is bad, but when you put things into an EPR or a performance rating evaluation, you need to have data facts to back it up. Now, looking closer at the feedback session from March of 2006, in the block primary duties, it says, non-commissioned officer in charge of information systems flight. And then it says, X-trans to app services, X-T-R-A-N-S to app services, which I'm assuming means transfer to application services. And then if you look down further in block four, performance feedback, where there should have been markdowns in areas where the officer in charge of the flight Should have stated areas of improvement, the lines are heavily marked to the right. And in Section 5, where he states, and I quote, Good work as non-commissioned officer in charge. And at the top of the page, he writes, Prepare for move to application services. This is in March of 2006. Now, staying on topic and specifically speaking about this app services position, Number one, it didn't exist and was metaphorically spoke of as an idea to organize a few boxes of recovery software that had been shipped with new computers and different equipment packages, which, may I add, was a small job for an airman and certainly not a full-time job for a seasoned NCO. Besides, in reality, the job only meant keeping a few CDs and destroying the rest. And I mean, this dude would hold hourly long meetings trying to justify the need for this position. But the officer in charge of the flight was also the medical information systems officer. And like me, he knew and was damn well aware that one year prior to this cock and bull story that he was trying to pull, the medical group purchased two CDs, two virtual towers. And what that meant was, is this application services function meant copying those CDs to this virtual tower. And these virtual towers basically stored copies of software Drivers, updates. Um, it also cataloged, numbered, and made these drivers and CDs and whatever it was available to users via the network share. Therefore, this in itself made the argument redundant. But to prove the point and the obvious waste of Manning, and this to despite all the information being presented in these meetings, enough for him to make an educated decision, the officer in charge of the flight would insist. So to squash this, the career functional manager for my job and the squadron commander got involved and would have to explain to him why this couldn't happen. And the first reason belonged to what we would call the career functional enlisted training plan or CFETP. And what that was is for all health service administrators, which I was at the time, This was our educational milestone or training blocks that for each one of our ranks from E1 through E9, and this guide had no measures, it had no information and no description. On top of that, the job itself had no relative value units or a medical expense performance reporting code to identify its function within the medical facility. Therefore, This job had no guidance, it had no instruction or performance factors to justify itself with what we would call an FTE or a full-time equivalent, meaning it didn't have enough performance factors to having a full-time body attached to this job. Now, in addition to this, he would try to justify this, and he went all the way up to what we would call the headquarters for Pacific Air Force at the time, and he went all the way to the lead information systems functional manager, and along with the 18th Medical Support Squadron commander, and they denied the request wholly because the lead Air Force's medical agency, or HAFMOA denied the request also. So I went through all of that just to say this. If the position was not created and it was scrapped before the commander left in June or July of 2006, then how did the job performance and factors find itself into my 2005 through 2006 performance of evaluation. Now, this is where the argument starts. So according to AFI 362618, the enlisted force structure, 3.16, table 12 and 13, the duty title must match the job description as it is written on the electronic rip from the military personnel flight. And basically what this is, is our HR office for military folks. On top of that, the duty title in association with the RIP, the key duties, tasks, and responsibilities for the entire year must match. So if I didn't move to application services until August 6th of 2006, as it is stated on this change of rate of form, dated August 6th of 2006, then what performance or job evaluation factors is this EPR based on? Now, if I was the non-commissioned officer in charge of information systems flight, as it is written on the RIP from the military personnel flight and the EPR, then why does the job description, then why does the job description block describe a CSA, which is a client services support administrator, and not the non-commissioned officer in charge of systems, as it is written on a description block in the 2004 through 2005 EPR. Again, small things, but when you take and you compare these two things together, it starts to branch off into a much larger picture. Because if I'm still the non-commissioned officer in charge of the systems flight, like I was in 2004, then it should say the same thing in 2005 through 2006. If I'm wrong, correct me and please explain where. But assuming that I am correct, what was the motive behind changing this to a client service administrator? Now, When you pair this with the EPR after my disclosure to the investigator during the reports of survey investigation, I mean, again, we believe the EPR was written on purpose as a tool of retribution. So getting back to the EPR and the intent behind labeling me as a client service administrator, what was the purpose? What was the reasoning for this action? Again, nothing in my personal information file, no derogatory information, and the change of rate of form was signed in August of 2006. So from August of 2005 through August of 2006, the duty title for this position says non-commissioned officer in charge of medical information systems flight. But now I'm being described as a client service administrator. Again, according to AFI 36-2406, anything that's considered rehabilitative or corrective should have been noted In the feedback session, which we went over earlier in this podcast. So again, I asked the question, what behavior or deficiency was the officer in charge attempting to correct? And based on the two feedbacks, there was nothing. No progressive punishment. So given that the evaluation has malicious undertones of personal feelings rather than a professional description of the non-commissioned officer in charge of the system's flight. And I mean, the descriptive word choice and sentence structure would lead the reader to believe I was an NCO of subpar or substandard work ethic and consistently does poor work. Why would they do that? And examples of this is seen in bullets 1 and 13, which describes the work of a CSA and not the non-commissioned officer. Other examples of this are bullets 14 and 17 of the additional Raiders comments. But for the moment, let's just take the EPR off the table and the timing of it and me saying that it was recirculated to discredit me and my integrity and the reason why i say that so let's just take a look at a few of the examples and let's just look down at at block on off-duty conduct which describes a person of poor personal habits or traits such as questionable integrity and respect for authority again there's nothing in my personal information file Or written into the feedback sessions to say that I was a person of subpar integrity or had traits of subpar integrity or had problems off duty. Why would he go to block four and mark that all the way to the left? You see, the timing of all of this cannot be coincidental. When not even two weeks prior to the EPR being recirculated, I had unknowingly became a whistleblower by providing the statement to investigators. And if you remember, earlier in part one of this episode, we talked about facts and data. And see, by me writing that statement and providing that to the investigators during reports of survey investigation, which was written in my defense after being implicated for the mismanagement and negligence of the equipment. And I know many ask, how can you connect reporter survey 06075, which they say there's no record of, how can you connect this to the EPR? And I say, Here, hold my beer while I connect the two. You see, while proving that there was cover up and why they were trying to criminalize me, or rather my statement, let's go back to a document everyone tries to glance over when in fact it is a critical linchpin in the entire project. If you remember from episode one, I talked about the FYEO, the For Your Eyes Only document. And see, What makes this document so important is the fact that not only did they try to hide this mismanagement by hiding the investigation, they also tried to piggyback the missing equipment by pushing it under another report to survey investigation. In fact, if we take a look at the FYEO, the four-year Eyes Only document, and the statement written by the non-commissioned officer in charge of the inventory, and if you look down at the dates down on lines 8 through 10, The non-commissioned officer in charge of the equipment states that the officer in charge of the medical information system flight told him to initiate a report-to-survey investigation. And then, if you look down on line 11, he states that he received the report-to-survey number. Now, anyone that has done a report-to-survey investigation, you and I both know that it doesn't take three years to receive a report-to-survey investigation number so again another point glanced over is the fact that not only did they try to hide one investigation they tried to hide two and the most important part of all of this is they tried to make me the fall guy for the mismanagement of the inventory and the missing equipment which from an outside perspective and looking in it's a pretty good frame up and again at the time due to no real controls in the investigative processes they got away with it. And in doing so, they were allowed to criminalize me through my performance evaluation by attacking my integrity. Not only without evidence of a crime, I mean, off-duty conduct without evidence, but me having to prove reprisal at the time was very, very hard to do. But again, as we roll through this, let's not forget the purpose of the project. And remember, we are just Hitting the tip of the iceberg and by highlighting the methods and modes of corruption or misconduct and the malfeasance were proving that the commander, the commander himself had knowledge of these events and knowledge of these events. He also used that to convict innocent people all under the guise of good order and discipline. And you see, these are the things that they say never happens. And remember, a commander's integrity is to be beyond reproach. And that means no doubts, especially in matters of military justice. Now, we have to ask ourselves, how much does the commander know? And that's a good question, right? Questioning the commander's integrity by questioning the commander's knowledge also questions the commander's intent. Which follows the line of premeditation, the planning or planned criminalization, which began with my EPR from 2005 through 2006. And why do I talk about integrity so much? Because you see, in the Air Force, your integrity is the one thing that you have and the one thing that if it's lost, it is the hardest thing to get back. And The commander, along with the officer in charge of the flight, attacked my integrity, and they did so through my EPR. And what they were trying to do and what they were saying through my EPR was, is if you can't be trusted, then why should anyone believe anything you have to say? So by questioning my integrity through my EPR, they basically questioned the statement. So as we close out part two of episode two, we highlighted the issues related to the reprisal, beginning with the feedback sessions and touching on the EPR. So, tune in to episode three of part two, where we highlight areas of the EPR that speak directly to reprisal, which is related to the statement from Reports of Survey Investigation, which is also related to the misconduct surrounding the inventory. So, until then, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for subscribing. I want to thank you for your support. Take care of yourself and be safe. Dirty Paper Project, Dirty Paper Podcast.